Hey, what's up, everyone? It's Dustin with the SU2G Podcast. As you know, my goal with these podcasts is to interview people who do inspiring work or inspiring things so that we might learn from them and improve our lives, improve our communities, and even improve the world. Today for this episode, I'm interviewing Timothy Beidelman, who just self-published a book on Amazon called Love and Affliction, Trust the Father Universe Who Governs All With His Mind. Timothy, thank you for being here, brother. Oh, thanks a lot, Dustin. I appreciate it. I appreciate you for taking the time. Absolutely. One of the things I first noticed about you when you and I first met, uh, probably a few years ago, is how strong in your faith you are. How is your faith related to the way you were brought up, and how has it evolved or changed as an adult for you? I came to know the Lord. I didn't know he was the Lord. I just heard a voice. Um, I was seven years old. I was in church, and I was really concerned because I uh, I was lying to my mother a lot, and she didn't know it. And, and it was hurting me for some reason, and I don't know why it was hurting me so bad. Um, my grades were good. I was getting straight A's. I was in the third grade around then. Um, I may have had one B. Um, and, you know, I was stealing some things. I stole out of this supermarket called Gold Circle from back in the day. Uh, it was in Midway Mall in Elyria, Ohio. And I stole, like, these magnets, put them out of pocket. And my mom's like, ask me what you got. I'm like, I don't have anything. And I lied my, through my teeth. And for some reason, it hurt me. Like, it, it hurt my heart. And I'm like, like, why lying to this woman? Why is it hurting me? <laughs> and, um... You know, so when that Sunday came around, um, I snuck out of church all the time. I didn't sit in church. Um, I didn't sit still. I always ran up, ran around. I rebelled. I, I don't know why. I was very hyper as a child. Uh, when I was two years old, um, my father, he actually left the house. Um, and, you know, so my mother raised us as a single mother. Uh, I really, you know, it was four of us. I didn't have my own bed. Uh, but, you know, by the grace of God, you know, there go I. Uh, my grandfather, uh, he was sort of the, the patriarch of the family. And uh, I would sneak out of church and go visit him at his church, and his church was next door. Mm. And then he would give me money. I'd take that money, go to the candy store, come back. Uh, my cousin would be with me as well. And uh, so when I snuck out of church this time, I was just frustrated because I was mad that I couldn't stop lying to my mom. Like, I couldn't stop. It just it just came out automatically. And uh, so I was complaining about it to myself. I'm like, why can't I stop lying? What's wrong with me? And while I'm walking out by the Black River at uh, Mount Nebo Primitive Baptist Church, you know, uh, old school, you know, very old school, you know, uh, I ain't going to say that much, but really old school. <laughs> and so when I snuck out of church, that's when God spoke to me. Isn't that weird? Like God didn't speak to me in the church. He spoke to me when I left. But, um, you know, I, I was walking out and... Uh, you know, I heard this voice say, I can help you with that. I said, how? That was my first response, not who are you? It was more like, how? How can you help me? And the voice told me, if you do what I tell you to do, I'll help you. I'll keep you from lying to your mother. And I said, okay, I'll do it. And he said, first, go back inside the church. And so then I snuck back inside the church I sat in the back pew because I didn't want to be noticed. I didn't want no one seeing me. Seven years old. And then the voice told me, uh, he said, uh, they, as soon as I walked in, they were doing what they call a, you know, the come to Jesus moment, right? So they sit the chairs out, they close the doors of the church, and they invite people to come up to give their life to Christ. Didn't know what all that was because all the people did was hum and moan. So I didn't know what they were talking about anyway. Um, so I'm sitting up there and I see them sit the chairs out. And just going through the motions, the voice says, okay, go up. And I said, well, I need my mother's permission to go up. And at the time, my mother was an evangelist. And so she was sitting up at the pulpit with the pastor. Uh, so then I go around, uh, you know, the voice told me, okay, you know, go ask your mother. So I went and asked my mother. I was like, mom, is it okay if I give my life to Jesus? And she says, you know, she's looking at me all weird. She's like, yeah, sure. You know, and I'm like, <laughs> like all right. I'm like, and so I just went up, you know, seven years old and uh, sat in that chair and they're all clapping. I'm like, what the heck are these people clapping about? I'm like, I'm like man, like I felt better uh, going to the corner store to get some candy. 
Um, but then after that moment, uh, all hell broke loose in my life. Things got crazy. Um, hell you know, in a good way or bad way. <laughs> I was getting I was getting kicked out of every school. I was getting kicked out of churches. Um, you know, I don't know how to explain it. You know, I you know got involved with you know a neighborhood gang. Um, mm. Like just things just spiraled out of control. But the one thing that was constant, I didn't lie to anybody. Whenever I got in trouble, the reason why I got into the most trouble was because I was always honest. The principal would sit me down. Did you do this? I'm like, yeah, I did it. Like, why did you do it? I really don't know. It felt kind of good at the time. (laughs) Um, And then, you know, even my mother would always say, well, he'll tell me what he did. He's like, all I have to do is ask him. Um, He doesn't lie to me. Um, It wasn't until later on in life I realized I could pray and ask for other things. It didn't have to just be lying. I could say, God, help me do this. Uh, help me learn better. Help me with my grades. When I started doing that and living by God's spirit, everything changed. Mm-hmm. Like everything. I stopped using the N-word all the time. I stopped mm-hmm. cursing. Um, like I was studying the King James Version of the Bible at 11 years old. And everyone said, this is hard to understand. And then I met this missionary uh, he came up from Texas. He was a former, like a biker gang person or whatever, turned missionary. And so I see this guy, and before I've only seen like, uh, like uh, processed religion. That's all I seen. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like they they pack the meat, right? They put the wax on the apple for you so you buy it sooner. And this is what people have done with religion, right? Um, so I met a guy who wasn't processed. But he was natural. He was all natural, grown from the seeds of the earth that God created to minister the gospel. And so he comes and I'm thinking like, I'm looking at this guy. He's got like a biker jacket on. He's got tattoos all over. He's, you know, this white guy with this big beard and his hair slicked back like a greaser. You know, like like a Patrick Swayze pony boy greaser. This is what this guy looked like. And I'm like, this guy definitely leads a gang. And uh, he's like, uh, he's like, oh, no, I'm a missionary now. And I'm like. I'm like what? I'm like, and like I think I'm ten or eleven. I'm like, you can be a missionary and look like that. He's like, oh praise God, yeah, he changed my life. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And he says, the Bible has everything you need in it. And and I just looked at him like it does. And he said, yeah, if you want wisdom, you go to Proverbs. You know, you want to know about the praises of God, you'll go to Psalms. Like and he's just rattling off all this different stuff. He said the Bible has everything you need. I'm like, is that true? And he said, yes. And then I believed him. The moment I believed that weird looking man, it changed my life forever. Because now everything that I believe I want and can't do on my own, I go to my knees and I'm like, God, help. Please help. I was studying my King James Version Bible, 11 years old. And I'm like, I don't get it. I don't understand this. And then, you know, my mother told me, she said, you can pray for anything. She's like, if you pray, you believe God will do it. And I, and I believed her. Mm-hmm. Um, I had trouble believing her at first because um, at the times when I was struggling between the ages of like 7 and 11, 7 and 12, like I viewed my mother as my worst enemy, mm-hmm. you know, and I would tell her I hate her. I would be angry. I had I was so angry. She felt it dealt with uh, the divorce between her and my dad, which it didn't. They took me to see psychiatrists and things like that because mm-hmm. they're like, you know, he's having problems. We got to help him. And, you know, I'd be there with the therapist playing with the little toys and stuff like that. She's like, so how do you feel? I'm like, I'm playing right now. <laughs> She's like, like, do you think you're, you're not having your dad in your life is affecting you? I'm like, nope. I'm like, I'm having a good time. I'm playing with these toys. You know, don't interrupt my games, you know. Um, but with my mother, there was this one point in time where our relationship changed dramatically. Um, and that definitely changed my life for the better um, because she's the one that taught me how to live by God's spirit because she went through a lot of mess Um, you know because as a woman trying to minister coming up through the 80s in the Baptist church they didn't want women to minister Mm -hmm. and they told them you can't minister because you're a woman all because of your body parts you can't minister Mm. like well I I mean didn't is God not talking about the baptism of a spirit or is he talking about the baptism of a body part you know what I mean it's like it's very confusing but when they teach people like that and they give these people this processed religion Mm -hmm. that looks good 
But you, you buy the apple, you bite into it, and it's all rotten inside. And you feel like you've been gypped. Mm-hmm. You're like, I've been gypped. You give me this processed meat, and then I find out this guy grows it in his backyard, and it tastes better than what you're yeah. giving me in the store. Um, you know, so my mother and I had a bad relationship when um, things changed. When uh, one day I was hanging out with a friend that I shouldn't have been hanging around with. He was very worldly. He was a drug dealer, and I didn't really know it. Know it. He was a 13-year-old drug dealer. Um, he was very tough. I was younger than him, so you know when you guys are best buddies and everyone thinks you're cool and you're beating up kids you should beat up. Um, you you feel empowered. You feel protected. You feel safe. Um, because I had a lot of fear in me, a lot of fear, a lot of anger, a lot of insecurity, extreme, extremely insecure. And um, one night I was getting ready to go with him, and my dad called my mom, and they were talking, and I don't know what their conversation was, but she says, "I do not want you uh, to go with that boy." And I said, "That's my friend." Um, I'm like, "I always go out with him. We always hang out. And we do stuff." And she says, "Just tonight, don't go with him." And I'm sitting there like, you know, and I got angry, irate, you know. I was like, I hate you, you know, you're always, listen. And then, you know, she says her prayer. She's like, Lord Jesus, help me. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, here she goes again. I'm so angry at her. I got tears going down my eye. I storm into my room and, you know, you kick stuff. And then you sit down and you're angry. And then the next morning, um, she like, uh. She walked into the house and like I remember this day to the day I died, you know, she threw the newspaper down on the living room table and uh, she said, this is why I didn't want you to go. And that boy, when he went to collect drug money from this older man, he ended up burning his house down with the two kids inside and the two younger kids died. Mm-hmm. And after that moment, I learned that the words of my mother were life to me. Like she can, like she can say stuff and God gives her favor. So I hung off every single word she would say. Even if I didn't agree with her, I would just do it. Um, you know, and she wanted to go to church to pray 6 a.m. My school started about 7.30, something like that. Um, and I'm like, where are you going? What are you going to do? What are you doing? What are you doing? She's like, well, I'm going to church to pray. I'm like, do you want me to go with you? What do you want me to do? And she's like, if you want to. And I started going to church and praying with her at 6 a.m. And um, and then there came a time where I was praying. I was praying in the spirit. And uh, I I really didn't understand how God worked. Mm -hmm. I don't think I really understand now, but... I don't think it's for us to understand. Yeah, we don't get it. And yeah. that, like, that's the whole like purpose of the book, right? To let people know you go through this stuff. It's not, you can't just be like, why? Why? Well, if you don't tell me why, I'm not listening to you. Like, what? What are you mm-hmm. talking about? And because I didn't understand. I, I didn't. But what helped me is saying, God, you know, what do I do? Like, I am the most clueless person on this earth. You need to help me, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And that's the perspective I took. And then my mom, she heard me praying. I didn't know how I was praying. I was just praying because, like, I was tired. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. But, you know, I was just moaning, right? And, and groaning, right? Mm-hmm. And then my mother, she just overheard me. She came over and she put her arm around me. She's like, just keep praying, just keep praying. I'm like, what the heck is she talking about? And so I keep praying. And all of a sudden, these, these languages start coming out all these weird little languages come out and they're coming out my mouth and I'm like what the heck was that I was like I was like what is I like I was like what what is that and but you know I just believed because my mom said you're talking to God I was like okay I believe you know and then my mom says oh you know you know you have the representation of the spirit speak through tongues and stuff like that oh okay I believe you I didn't question anything. Mm-hmm. I just was like, you tell me, I believe. You say God said this, I'll believe. Mm-hmm. I just believed and always hoped for the best. Um, it made me smarter. My grades got extremely better, like through the roof. Um, you know, of course, now I have my doctorate degree. Um, school's not hard. Um, but it all started when I picked up the King James Version of the Bible and my little cursing language when I get angry. I said, God, help me understand what's written here because I don't get it. And some stuff took me years to understand. I put my notebook down. I'm taking my notes. I would have these stacks of notebooks like this. 
because I wanted to know. Like I didn't get it. I didn't mm-hmm. understand. And the more I learned, the more I realized how messed up I was. <laughs> well, that's the beautiful part of, of God and the way he works in our lives is he takes those messed up parts and and only those those holes that we have in us are God-shaped holes and only he can fill those parts back up. So that's just... But you you know what's really funny though? What's that? So here's this woman, my mother, telling me I can pray for anything and I can believe and God will do it for me. So after she taught me how to pray like that, you know, my dad dropped me off one day. My siblings had already went to college and I was a teen by this point. He was about 13, I can't remember. And, um, you know, her and my dad got into a fight. And I never seen them fight before. I never seen them disagree on anything ever. They're both God-fearing people. It's just things went the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And um, and I talk about it in my book too. I talk about my parents quite a bit. My father's passed on now. Mm-hmm. But I went back to him and I prayed. And I got tears in my eyes. I'm praying. And my mother saw that I was worked up. So she went back to my room, knocked on the door. She says, everything okay? What are you doing? She said, Mom, I'm praying like you taught me. And she says, what are you praying about? I said, I'm praying for you and dad to get back together. Mm-hmm. And then she just looked and closed the door and then walked <laughs> away. It was the first time ever my mother denied a ministry opportunity. <laughs> um, but then three years after that, my parents got back together. Wow. Wow. <laughs> okay. A couple yeah. notes and things I noticed. Uh, you mentioned... Uh, how about the you heard God out of church not in the church yeah the the whole thing with the the apple that around it and then the way the church was saying to your mom you know we don't want women to minister so it it, those are things that have kind of struck me just in things I've learned recently Mm -hmm. um do you know the story behind uh Van Gogh's Starry Night yes so how Mm -hmm. yeah but did you know he was actually trying to become a minister at the time? And yes. And if you look at that painting, the, this is something that's known as really interesting to me. If you look at the painting, all the houses are lit up, but the church does not have any light coming out of it. Because mm-hmm. he, he felt denied by the church. Very true. He loved Christ and, and he loved mm-hmm. God and the Spirit. Yes, but he, he felt. Um, and, then, and then also I learned you know, that... And Impressionism is my favorite era oh, yeah. of art. By far, and then as far as women ministering, Mm -hmm. you had um, there were like Mary Magdalene and other Mm -hmm. women that were going around. Mary Salome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they were going around with Christ and Mm -hmm. Jesus and His ministry, and they were the ones helping uh, pay for Mm -hmm. a lot of the things they did. And they're leading the women's movement, and I talk about it in my book too. Well, there we go. This is gonna be a good. You're sizzling in the yeah. Yeah, this is great. <laughs> um, all right, so we talked about your your faith. How like first... there just just sure. real quick. Sure. Yeah, uh, there's a chapter. The chapter that uh, where it talks about the, those women leaders specifically is in uh, the chapter called the despised ones. Mm-hmm. And I identify that the the ones that were most despised were the ones who provided the greatest impact. The ones who didn't necessarily want to draw attention to themselves, but they put all the attention on Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. That's why, you know, Jesus' mother was so significant. Her and John the Beloved led the Christian church from Ephesus, which is in Turkey. Uh, they had their home there and everything until they were older. And then we find later that, you know, Jesus definitely uh, said, John the Beloved, your new son. He said, this is your new family. You know, that, that's your son. And then where they made the greatest impact was that. They show the most love. If you read Revelation, you read 1st, 2nd John, and 3rd John, you see it's about love and light. And this type of love and light that he portrayed showed in his life because he was the only disciple never to be martyred. They tried to kill him. They dipped him in tar. When they found out they couldn't kill him, you're like, we can't kill this guy. You know, he's the leader of the church. I know he's going to write Revelation, so let's just exile him. After they exiled him, the emperor that was trying to kill him, he ended up dying. Mm-hmm. And then he could go back home. And he went back to Ephesus and started leading the church again. Mm-hmm. He didn't die on Patmos. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the 
you know, they called him John the Beloved. He was the one that showed the most love. So I wrote about him uh, in the chapter of the despised ones. And I also wrote about the Marys because they're the ones that, you know, were at the tomb. Yes, and they the, were the first witnesses. Right? They were the first witnesses. You know, and, you know, it's okay that, you know, Peter and the Mr. Mark, like, it's okay. And God's kind of letting them know, like, hey, it's all right. Don't let your heart be troubled. Like, it's all right. You know, I knew this was going to happen. I'm God. I know y'all needed me. That's why I'm here with you. Right. Um, well, let me get off my soapbox. <laughs> Sorry. Not a problem. Now, you, again, you talked about the first time you started developing your faith at a very early age. Yeah. How did your faith affect the way you affect you and your transformative years that all people experience, such as your college years? Explain. Most days, most times nowadays, you have kids that are very much, they grow up in the church and then yeah. they, they go through confirmation, they, they yeah. have young adult groups and stuff or, or mm -hmm. youth worship uh, all through high school. And then all mm -hmm. of a sudden, when they go away to church or go away to college, they separate themselves from the church. They separate themselves from God's church. And yeah, they go to the world. The, yeah. They're Just going out of the world and mm -hmm. they're getting into the, all things, you know, here on, on earth, they're getting into the partying and mixed mm -hmm. in with those other things. You were exposed to a lot of that early on with oh, yeah. the people you hung out with. Did you go through with another kind of, I don't want to call it a rebellion since you didn't really know what you No, I was never a prodigal. No. Never. Mm, I always held the faith. Um, and part of the reason was how much I prayed when I was young. I prayed a lot. Mm -hmm. um, not that I'm saying that by quantity you're delivered. You're not delivered by quantity. Some of the best prayers I've ever prayed were, uh, God help, please help. Mm -hmm. And he just like steps in right away, like all the time. And even sometimes I get so dramatic. I'm like, daddy, come on. You're my daddy. Please help me, mm -hmm. please. Um, and sometimes that's how it has to be. Like a man, when he deals with his son, the son will go out, get himself in trouble, need to be bailed out. You need to know that your sin is your prison. Your daddy can bail you out and you need to pick up that phone and humble yourself and make that dang on phone call. Because if you do not make that phone call, you will not be set free. I promise you won't. And then I also can say this, freedom where you remember the chains is not freedom. It's not freedom because there's fear. You know, can the suppression happen again? Will this happen in my life? And then you begin treating everyone around you with fear. And with fear, it is impossible to love. So God, he doesn't tell us this directly because he doesn't want to offend us. But he says, like, in his heart where you guys don't know how to love people. The problem with the world, with all of you, you don't know how to love people. So I sent Jesus to show you how to love people. He came down, he started washing people's feet. The greatest man alive, washing people's feet. You know, and I can piggyback off of another story where I learned, like, God showed me a lot through my young years. You know, when, when God shows you a lot and you listen, you, you ain't got to worry about nothing in the future. You know, but I was worried about my future. I was worried about my future when I was, oh, when I was 12. When I was 12, I was praying to God, crying, because I said, I said, God, don't let future me mess up things for me in heaven. That's what one of my prayers was. Wow. I prayed that when I was a kid because I said, I know I can get stupid. I was like, I know I can get messed up. I know I can mix up with the wrong woman, wrong people, wrong friends. And I'm like, God, don't let the future stupid me mess stuff up. And, you know. Before I said that prayer, um, you know, I learned that, you know, people can fall away from the faith. And that's what broke my heart. And my mother said, well, you pray to God and you talk about it. Because she saw I was worked up about it and I prayed. And then God gave me a vision. He, he saw how, he showed me how I was going to die and he showed me heaven. And I was still in the faith. So I held on to that. That hope purified me. That hope is what kept me, even through college, I didn't have sex with other girls. You know, when I went to my first marriage, my first marriage didn't work out. But when I went to my first marriage, I hadn't had sex with no girl. I didn't even see porno or nothing like that. I didn't see none of that stuff. Mm. God somehow kept me. 
Like some, he would, he would share things with me that he felt was necessary. So when, you know, girls are being inappropriate with me, God would tell me, don't do anything. And I'm like, okay, like, okay, I won't do anything. And so I wouldn't lay with women. I wouldn't get caught up in the masturbation. I didn't get caught up in none of that. You know, as soon as I got married, I was like, I, I didn't even know my stuff could work. I was like, man, maybe, well, I was like, what do I do if it don't work? You know, because like the first night things weren't working. So I'm like, what do I do? Like, how do? <laughs> oh gosh, man. Wow. But the other thing I wanted to tell you too, when I was in the Baptist church when I was young, my mother, uh, you know, she did have a second marriage uh, to a man who became my stepfather. Um, he was, there was one time he was excessive with me and I definitely forgave him for that, but I used it as a, you know, launch pad to learn how to treat people because I knew him, he had a rough childhood himself um, and he loved God. Um, you know, it's just me and him, we, he loved me, he adored me, he liked me, um, but he was, he had his own demons he wrestled with and I didn't get that. I didn't understand that. So he would kirk out on me. Kirk out that's DC language for acting crazy um, and so he would get crazy on me and he did a lot when you know no one else was home right and I wouldn't tell my mom because I didn't feel it was necessary right? I didn't feel it was necessary to tell her and so then we there was this friction between us you know because he was disciplining me too hard he was not too much I mean I deserve the whoopings trust me right you know my mouth was messed up but there are a few times one time I can only remember that he was excessive and um, and, it, and it hurt me you know, it hurt my feelings. Um, I wasn't hurt physically because I was a tough kid. You know, I had an older brother punch me in the gut whenever I walked by him, you know, and I would lose my air. I'm like, <gasps> and he, you know, my brother's like, suck it up. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, oh man, I'm like, you're, you're such a juice bag. But uh, <laughs> like, uh, we went to church, we were in church, and we had a foot washing service. And the pastor instructed the men that were deacons in the church, he said, call up who you, whose feet you want to wash. My stepfather called me up. Mm. Out of everybody, I was the only kid sitting up there, and he said, "I'm gonna wash your feet because I love you." And I'm like, "Oh my!" Like I'm like, "Oh my gosh!" And he's here's this man that had this friction with me, who was borderline excessive with me in his discipline, and he's sitting there washing my feet, and I'm like, "Oh my gosh!" Like it it moved my heart so much um, that I was just like. I was happy, yet I was perplexed because it let me know I don't get it. Like, I don't understand love. I don't get it. I don't mm. get it. Because if a man who I viewed, who had angst against, who we were combative with each other, if he can humble himself to wash my dang on feet. And, you know, he, you know, him and my mom ended up divorcing, of course. Um, and then, unfortunately, he, you know, he got sick. He got caught up in, you know some confusion and he linked up with the wrong woman and you know he ended up getting AIDS and he mm -hmm. passed away um, and you know he, he that's family it's still family you know I mean there's no animosity it's just we're, we're family and for those who serve God we are even more connected mm -hmm. yeah alright so you did not Little prodigal, however. No. Um, Do you want me to tell you more about the college or no? No, no, no. I, I, <laughs> I, I want to move more towards where we're at now. Okay. Now, when I first met you, I mentioned uh, I discovered you were strong in your faith. Um, mm -hmm. Amen. But I also quickly learned you have a very strong business mind mm -hmm. uh, in addition to your faith. Um, what are some of the types of businesses you've been involved in Ooh. and has your faith affected the way you are in the business world? It has. The business world, gets they get very scared of me for some reason. They act funny. Um, God does help me in my decisions and people are uncomfortable with that. So when you make a decision, they say to themselves, there's no way you could possibly know that. It sparks fear, and then they think I'm some kind of spy or something like that. So, oh man, you, you want me to talk about other people's businesses or businesses that I've done for myself or the organizations I've uh, sat on for governance and leadership? I mean, you don't have to name businesses, but the, the kind of work that the businesses did that they were yeah, sure. involved in. Um, 
the uh, you know I sit on a uh, as a as a board member uh, for um, for Mercy Health um, in the Lorraine Regional Market. Um, I also sit on the Lorraine County Public Health Board. Uh, that's Lorraine County, Ohio. Uh, of course, we're overseen by Ohio Department of Health, you know, and ORC governs us. Um, I also uh, sit on the board for Kindle at Home, which is an affiliate of Kindle Corporation. Uh, it's very similar to, you know, it's kind of an offshoot of Kindle at Oberlin. Uh, Kindle has multiple retirement communities, you know, spread out through the country, different services, and they do a great job Quaker based. Mm. So they're a faith based system. Uh, Mercy Health is Catholic uh, faith based system um, under Catholic Charities USA, uh, then under the Vatican itself. Um, at times when I talk to people about my faith, a lot of times, you know, honestly, um, you know, and you know, I don't want no one to get upset with me because I'm saying this, but, you know, when, like, Mercy, for instance, when uh, the president wanted to, when he wanted to have dinner with me and uh, another mentor of mine, Randy, who's another friend of a dear, dear, dear loving friend of mine, uh, Ms. Gail Stumphauser, uh, her and her husband, Kent, they just... They sort of took me under their wing a little bit because they're like they, they they protect me because you know I just go off and do stuff and they, they you know they protect me and they have this big love in their heart and um, uh, Miss Gail Stumphauser she's a part of the Margot Free to Be project that she started um, so you know we had the same circle of people and they wanted to have dinner with me and um, me and the president uh, Mercy uh, Lorraine market and uh, my friend Randy we were talking and you know we were talking a little bit about things that I'm doing some of the real estate deals I was working on and you know I had all these obstacles and I'm telling all these obstacles and we're talking a little bit about a little bit of everything we talk about health care and Lorraine County um, and then you know I, I kind of interrupted them and I said you know I'm, you know sorry gentlemen but you know I have to pray uh, because, you know, this meal looks good. I'm very grateful for what God's put in front of us. So I was like, I just want to pray and thank God. Is that all right? We, you know, you gentlemen, you know, I'm not trying to offend you guys. And they're like, they got quiet. I'm like, yeah, sure. Um, and then after I got done praying, they looked at me and said, you're the kind of man we want to be around. Mm. Um, and to be honest with you, every time that I've had, you know, an opportunity where people invited me to provide feedback as a community leader, as a community volunteer, as a, you know, from any form, shape or form, it's always, my heart's been wanting to help people. That's how I think. Um, but they make their decision based upon seeing my faith. That's what I've noticed. Wow. That's awesome. I mean, I could be wrong, but. Because <laughs> in the reason I said, you sometimes see uh, out there in the business world where they're, You'll have businesses that are trying to push you out of your faith. Yeah, the world. Yeah. But remember uh, John D. Rockefeller. Remember his grandmother was a Quaker. Yeah. You know what I mean? A praying woman. The oil didn't make them rich. You know, a praying grandmother made that family rich. But the other thing, John D. Rockefeller, he said the greatest thing that happened to me for my life was the fact that I gave 10% to God all the time. Mm Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, you know, yeah, we all have our cross to bear. You know, oh, we have problems we go through. And because in this world, God said, you know, you'll have trouble. You'll have trouble in the world. But in me, you'll have peace. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, you listed those businesses that you're involved in and on the boards and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously, you come from that strong faith background. You kind of alluded to me before we were recording why you decided to write this book but if you could share with everyone sure. what, what what made you write this book and um, and then from there tell me your experience about the difficulty you had of publishing your book <laughs> yeah. which, which led which led you to finally just publishing it yourself yes. thanks to some great advice from a good friend of yours <laughs> <laughs> yeah you yeah you were the one that that pushed me in the right direction. Yeah. I believe God put you in my life to bug me, 
in that way, and I'm glad you did. And I knew God was using you. But you know how it is when God's using people, you bow your head and you try to walk away from them. <laughs> I was like, let me walk away from this man. And I'm oh, like, man, Dustin's here today. Oh. But, but the thing is, when God's using someone, they immediately become an authority figure. Mm-hmm. And you, when God was using you, you immediately was, you know, 10 feet tall Dustin. I'm like, Lord Jesus, <laughs> I can't, I don't want him to look at me, you know. Um, so my, uh, <laughs> my mother, my father was still alive at the time and he passed, but um, you know, when he was alive, uh, I came back in town. I was in the military. I was in the United States Navy, um, two tours, you know, Iraq, Afghanistan. Never been on a boat. Always deployed with either the Marines or running around with the... I'm trying to think. There was one time I went with the Navy when we went to... Um, uh, when we went to... Oh, my gosh. I'm trying to think of that place now. Uh, it wasn't... Afghanistan. It wasn't Kabul's the airfield. Oh my gosh, I can't remember the name now. That's weird. Um, but it's actually when we were there, Prince Harry was there too, hmm. and like he was having lunch across from us, and we were making like I was making jokes, cracking right, and then they tried to say they're like, "This is the prince. Come on, man, calm down." And I'm like, "Like man, he ain't no prince. I'm like, come on, that's crazy." And then on the news later, they're like, "The queen finds out that Prince Harry's in Afghanistan." I was like, "Oh shoot!" And demands his return. I was like, "Oh my gosh!" I'm like, "Oh man, that's Prince Harry." <laughs> you know, because it was joint forces, so it was a lot of fun. Um, but when I when I uh, got you know I got sick with Lyme's disease, I had to leave the military. Um, I was very very sick. I couldn't work for two years straight. Uh, then, you know, money got short. People didn't want to hire me because of my health conditions. The only people who wanted to hire me were like private military groups. And when my mother found out, they offered a lot of money. But when my mother found out, she's like, no, absolutely not. You are not going back to those situations anymore. You're not going back to war. So I'm like, okay, okay. So, um, you know, and I actually had it in mind to make a career out of being in the Navy. Didn't happen. Um, I was training to be a Navy SEAL, actually. Um, didn't happen. Um, I was trained by Stu Smith, the guy who invented the perfect push-up. I told you about oh, that really? before. Yeah. Stu Smith trained me personally. Him and Chief Black, they would have me in the pool and uh, IT2 pageant. Oh, man, these guys, they were, you know, they took care of me. And they are like, come on, we're going to get you better. We're gonna, you know, they taught me how to swim like a fish. And I passed all my tests. I was ready to go. Then I got sick when I got back mm-hmm. from... Afghanistan, I want to say I got sick real bad. And um, it changed my life. So my father was sick, but I was sick too. And so I came back to Ohio uh, at that same time. That's when my first wife left me. Um, you know, you know, not to, you know, it, it's, I don't hate anyone. You know, uh, God's love is in my heart. Um, you know, I have a little daughter um, by the grace of God, because the doctor said I wouldn't be able to have kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then all of a sudden I did these treatments and then boom, here, here comes his daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you know, praise God for that. Absolutely. So I'm with my dad helping them. And then that, you know, I went to help them with the church. Their church, they actually didn't have a building. They sold their property to St. Ignatius. Um, and St. Ignatius was very kind to them, very generous. And um, uh, I actually... I didn't want to help. Like my mother tried to get me to do Sunday school classes. I, I was like, "Wow, oh, I can't do that," you know, you know. But truthfully, I was very sick. I was very ill, mm-hmm. and it was just hard to wrap my mind around certain things. Sometimes, not all the time. And um, so when I started helping them with the Sunday school, she just my mom ordered me pretty much do the Sunday school. We need mm-hmm. your help. So that's what I started doing. Um, and so her church was just out of uh, out of the Westside Catholic Center on West 32nd Street, West Side of Cleveland. And, um, you know, their staff are super nice to us. They let us use the facility. Uh, so we'll have church services for the homeless and the drug addicts and the people in the local area to come in and worship God. And most of these people have a lot of hardships. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, some of them, you know, have heroin addictions. You know, my mother would pray for them and they would have the addiction gone. You know, if we found out someone went to prison, we'd go to the prison, try and visit them. Um, so I was teaching in Sunday school. And then that's when um, I... I I wanted to teach on affliction. I wanted to teach that, 
through affliction is how we find love. And that the one of the best books in the Bible is the story of Job. But every preacher avoids it because there are no answers in that book. Mm. There's a bunch of questions and people are afraid of questions. They want answers. So when they see questions, they run away. When they see God, the end of Job, chapters 38 going to 42, there are more questions in that section than any other book in the Bible. And it's God asking them. Mm. I mean, wouldn't it dawn on you that you want answers from God, yet God is asking you questions? When Adam was in the garden and he did something wrong, he did something he shouldn't have done. And what did God do? He just started asking questions. He didn't hurl any accusations. He was not an accuser. Mm. He, he didn't antagonize him. He didn't put him down. He said, where are you? I miss you. Where have you been? Yeah. You know, and in most families, that's usually how it is. Yeah. No matter how much you fight with your parents, a lot of times they'll call you up. Look, I don't care about what we fought about. Just let me see you. Can I see my grandkids? Where are you? Are you okay? Mm. That's love. And that's what people are forgetting. That's what drove me to write the book. Because God has a heart and he's our father and people forget. That he's our father and that he's 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 been pursuing us. Mm -hmm. But because he don't come at us the way we want him to, uh, we want him to pull up in an SUV and he wants to ride a bicycle. Mm. Like and, it, and you get mad at your grandfather because, you know, he's our grandfather. Right. Because that's Adam's father. He's like our great, 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 great grandfather. That's God. You know, no umbilical cord, all spirit. Right. No blood type. You know, but that, that's our grandfather. And then he, he wants to. You know, wear black socks with uh, white Nikes. And we're like, man, come on, old man. That's not how you do it. Hey, let's make fun of him. You, you don't look. Come on. You can't wear those golf pants. What's those? God, why you got those checkered pants on now? <laughs> like, take those off. And God's like, okay, I get it. But this is how I want to approach you. You know, who are we to say, no, don't approach me that way. I don't care if you gave birth to my parents and my parents' parents and my parents' 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 parents. Right. Like, don't like put on some nice Jordans, you know, right. like wear a fitted cap, put on a business suit to come talk to me. Right. Th that's what we do. We put all these restrictions and that's our religion. So you hit on uh, a big part of the book is uh, is the story of Job yes. as well as the, the despised. Anything else you want to let us know about the book? Job, Nehemiah, and Paul, those are the main profiles of the book. So I, I hit their areas direct, right? So Job, I'm more specific in that he was the greatest sufferer. His name technically means greatest sufferer. Uh, the term salvation that's used in the Bible is actually translated as the word Yeshua, which we know to mean the name Jesus, uh, which means our salvation for sure. But it's the only book in the Bible that uses Yeshua to mean salvation. Very mm. peculiar. Um, I approached Job from all sides. Uh, his family life, he lost all his children. Um, from his business life, he was a kind of judge. He was a wise judge. But then he also was an entrepreneur. He had assets. He had businesses. I put values to those assets and businesses. Um, imagine if you own, uh, let's say you own a Home Depot, God forbid. You own a Home Depot. Great place. I shop there all the time. I get a lot of stuff, cool stuff. Trying to get some free stuff now too. Let's, yeah, I know, right? This is a, <laughs> shut out. A little plug there. You know, <laughs> maybe they'll cut me a check. I actually want a Tesla. I want a Tesla X. There you so go. Maybe they, <laughs> I do. I want a Tesla so bad, but they're so expensive. Um, but let's say you own a Home Depot. You let's say you own Home Depot's cross country. Uh, you're bringing in about, let's say you're bringing about five hundred million. Um, it's worth, let's say your assets are worth 500 million and you rake in about maybe 70 million a year. Okay. Now imagine um, we're in a world war. Germany comes over, they kill all your employees, um, they take all your business assets. They tear the building down and take all the copper out of the building. They take every dime from you and every potential you have to make a source of income for your family. There is no more social security. 
there are no benefits for you. The insurance company that funded you, that helped you, that you put money into is gone because, you know, they're gone. They're just gone. You don't know where they went. They found out that the Germans came over and they went to the Bahamas because they have assets of their own and they flew and protected themselves in the Bahamas. Yet you couldn't go nowhere. Your children died. You know, all your children are gone. And then your wife says, you know what? I don't believe in God. Um, so, you know, I'd like for you to just just say you don't believe in God just for my peace and I'll stay with you. But if you don't do that, I got to go because you're just being stubborn. That's the story of Job. And then he says, God, why me? Why me? Right. And then he says, if there was only someone who was half God and half man who could argue my case for me and his wise friends. Right. His wise friends are like, let's say, you know, Joel Osteen comes to visit you because he wants to comfort you. Right. You know, um, let's say, um, oh, Bishop T.D. Jakes, Tyler Perry, they come to comfort you because they've been through stuff, too. Right. And they're wise. They're very wise, extremely wise. Um, and then let's say your younger brother's with you. You know, you, your younger brother's known you since your infancy. He loves you. You know, and he don't like to see you suffer. So 10 days, they just sit with you. They don't say nothing. They hold you. You know, they try and cook for you. But you don't want to eat because you're depressed. You are. You lost everything. You lost everything you had. And you, you like. And then these wise people try to tell you why this happened to you. Doctors try and tell you why you're sick. Psychologists trying to tell you why your spouse left. You know, schools tell you why you don't have a job, why you lost your businesses. They're all telling you why. And God's just sitting back there like these people have no idea what they're talking about. You know, and their, their approaches sometimes are religious. They say you sinned. That's why this happened to you. You know, God was mad because you didn't do what God said 10 years ago. You, mm-hmm. you, you, you know, you sinned. You know, this girl, you were promiscuous. You know, that's that's Job. So here are these wise people who once got advice from him. And now because he's low, they feel they're superior. They feel they're superior in wisdom and position uh, and power. Um, and their knowledge about the creator was right. Everything they said was right. But there's a difference when you hold truth and unrighteousness than holding truth and love. Big difference. Yeah, so that's the story of Job. And then we know the end that, you know, he got everything back twice as much. He was already one of the most richest men in the East. He was from Saudi Arabia. He was not Jewish. Um, So God wanted to use an Arab to speak about, I've never seen anyone more perfect than this Arab named Job. Beautiful thing. Absolutely. Because you know there are people out there who said, well, you're not righteous unless you can prove you're Jewish. You know what I mean? Yeah. People are weird. Like, God loves us. You know, Jews, they're just our older brothers. That's all. God created all of us, so we're all brothers. Mm, We're all cousins. Yeah. Yeah, we're all cousins. So, this book finally got it self-published on Amazon. Oh, yeah, yeah. And... The publishing war. The publishing war. <laughs> so it seemed like you went through a lot of, yeah. of battles trying to get. A I'm publisher. fighting with these publishers, and but they were all nice to me. They weren't. None of them were mean. Actually, the best. Oh man, you know what? I might have to write this as a review for myself, or ask them to review it. But there's this publishing company out in England. I won't say their name. They actually got a hold of my book and read it, and they sent me. They turned me down, but they said. The reason why we took so long with your book is because none of us could put it down. They said, this is amazing. Um, we're sorry we can't go with you. And I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like, you said my book's amazing, but we can't go with you. And, and they said, we passed around to our editors. They said, our whole department, everyone's read it because they love it. But they said, because our business office never heard of you, and this is your first book, they don't want to take a risk on you. That's what they said. But they said it was they said it was meticulously written. That's what they said. They said it was it was a wonderful work and meticulously written. And I like I smiled at that rejection. I'm like, oh, all right. There you go. Meticulous. I am meticulous. I don't know what that means. Well, hey, but you know, every door that closes is 
Yeah. To lead you through the road. They still emailed me. I know. But there were other publishers that just didn't get back to me. Um, There were some that said, well, uh, we usually only publish through these group of people. One group said you need a literary agent, you know, if you ain't got a literary agent. But none of the literary agents accepted my work. They were like, uh, we usually don't get into this type of work, which they do, but they just wanted to turn me down in a nice way. Um, you know, I have amazing mentors. One of my mentors, I used to cons- uh, do some uh, uh, project consulting. I had this contract with uh, this law firm, Sidley Austin in Washington, D.C. And there I met a legal secretary who was also a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like, I mean, science fiction writer. Like, you would have never thought, like, like she's so legally minded, but she writes science fiction. She writes like these, um, she writes, I want to say homosexual romance. That's what mm. she writes. But it's, it's sci-fi, right? She's not, I don't believe she's, I don't think she's a believer. I'm not sure. We never really had that conversation. But she came up to me and she's like, she's like, uh, talking with me about her life. And she was going through some things and, you know, and I, you know, told her, I'm like, oh, I'm going to pray for you, son. Everything's going to work out. I know it's going to work out. And then all of a sudden, um, she says, you know, yeah, I write these books and things like that. I'm like, oh, I'm actually, you know, I'm you know, finished the book and I'm looking for publishers. And she's like, what's it about? And I told her about it. She's like, oh, can I see? And I showed her. She's like, oh, she's like, I love this. This is nice. She's like, you know, look, call me, message me. Just let me know how you're going. And so she was like my mentor through the process. Yes. Also, um, Mr. Jeff Stetson, um, he's the guy who created the play, The Interview. Uh, that was a meeting between uh, Malcolm X and Dr. Martin Luther King. It was uh, it was an award-winning play. Um, he lives out in the Los Angeles area. He's part of the Writers Guild uh, out there. And then I got to run into him, and we talked about... Uh, he did it, produced a show called Shots Fired. Um, he did... I forget which episodes he did. Um, but one particular episode, he I was there. He screened it for us. And um, I told him about the book I was working on. He's like you know continue he's like look here's my email let me know how it goes and then so i go to him for feedback because he's done books and he's written plays he's written everything under the sun so Mm -hmm. awesome yeah what's next for you 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 mentioned you've gotten oh yeah uh some calls from people wanting you to oh yeah copies yeah so um uh, a friend of mine who who is now a friend and slash mentor uh, writes for the show Greenleaf, and she found out about a couple of the stories. I actually went out to Los Angeles to tour the Dream Center, awesome place, to see the work they're doing to see if we could replicate it here in Ohio to help combat the opioid crisis. Because mm. I'm uh, working with this nonprofit, you know, I can't work full time, so I sit on the board and just provide guidance, I guess, um, so I can feel useful. So. So like once a week we have meetings, you know, for an hour. Um, I'd have to do teleconference because sometimes I can't drive longer than thirty minutes or something weird like that. Um, but uh, uh, this woman from the show Greenleaf, uh, she reached out to me, and the show's owned by Oprah, I believe. Um, and she heard about the stories that I wrote when I was out there visiting the Dream Center, and then I went to visit a few other friends to see their nonprofits and churches and. Um, and they were like talking about the entertainment industries. There were actors there, there were uh, producers and all that, and they were inviting me to these events. And I'm like, yeah, I really don't do that. Um, you know, I'm like, you know, I, you know, I just don't do that. They're like, well, what do you do? I'm like, well, I can't work right now because I'm a little ill. And like, well, you know, well, do you do you don't do anything? You have a hobby? I'm like, well, I do write. I do some writing on the side just for fun. And I've been writing since I was a child. I've always wrote wrote stories and would give them to my teachers. And I'm like, oh, this is great. I can't believe you wrote this. It's just stories. And so I had one story there. And then, you know, I said, I got my laptop. You guys can read some stuff. And I left my laptop with them and I went to use the bathroom. When I came back, all these producers and executives were like around my computer reading my story. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? And they're like, this is good. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, it's just a story right. uh, where I was trying to highlight uh, trafficking, you know, um, you know, like children get caught up in trafficking, mm-hmm. uh, slave trafficking, human trafficking. And the story highlights that. But it's a story that just teaches how people are family, even though they're not blood. Um, and a friend of a friend told uh, this writer at, at uh, one of, at the show Greenleaf, 
And then she reached out to me and said, um, you know, just put this in script format and I would like to market this. Um, and so we agreed, we, you know, try and partner on this together and it, uh, she wants it to be a TV pilot. Um, oh. and so hopefully we'll get it picked up. Um, I, I don't know if I'll move to LA or not. I don't think I can do that right now because Ohio needs me. Um, cause I am working with this nonprofit, um, just as a volunteer, uh, to combat the opioid crisis is called United Care. Um, mm. we're looking to set up. Uh, different clinics, satellite clinics in the area, a little small, um, you know, but to serve as a kind of detox facility. But then we also want to raise awareness. So we reached out to the Discovery Network uh, and they have a program where they're going to begin uh, working with us to, you know, raise awareness in the schools in the state of Ohio, because that's what we really want to do as well. Um, and so everyone's really excited. Um, you know, I told all my colleagues about it so far. Some have, don't know, but they'll know eventually. Um, you know, but I'm glad to see, you know, the health district being so supportive. Uh, I do have other books I'm working on. Awesome. Um, I have a list of 12 other books I already have ideas for and I already know what the content needs to go in there. And these, most of them are former some, uh, Sunday school lessons. Uh, one in particular is not, it's, I call it the Purple Party. Uh, and it's where I kind of identify some of the errors in our political system. Not talking bad about our politicians. I believe we need to pray for our leaders and God will lead them. Um, you know, the solution isn't who's in office. It's kind of where our heart is. That love is lacking, that everyone runs around with fear. And if you're afraid and you're afraid to be a good teacher because of liability issues, because you're afraid of getting sued, you don't love kids. If you're afraid to do something because you're, you're a doctor and you're working on this person, you're afraid to do this type of procedure, you're like, oh, I could get sued if I mess up. If that fear is there, you don't love them because fear immediately eradicates love. Mm. They don't work together. They're not best friends. Um, yeah. Sounds like you got a busy future ahead of you. Yeah, I do. There's another, the next book I'm going to write too, right after this is going to be called uh, What Kind of Church Are You? Well, I think the title is going to be Those That Are in the Pasture Shall Remain, subtitle, uh, What Kind of Church Are You? Question mark. Uh, and it doesn't, it'll be good. I don't want to talk about that one too much. And then the next book I'll do after that is called Be the Storm. So many times people are preaching and teaching that avoid the storm, run for the storm. And then, you know, there was a Sunday school lesson that I gave. And um, in it, you know, I gave solutions to some of the problems. And, you know, I told them something they never heard before. And I said, God, show me this. I'm like, what? I said, um, I said, I am the storm. That's what I told them. I was like, the reason why is because when Jesus tells me to be calm, I'm calm. When Jesus tells me to throw tables around because there are money changers all around, I'm throwing tables. I will yell at you. Like, if anyone's trying to beat or stone the truth of God out of any human being, I'm going to come against them. I believe Jesus did this with the Pharisees. Uh, Nehemiah did it. I put it in my book, Love and Affliction, how Nehemiah tore someone's beard, you know, hitting people in their chest, you know, chasing people out of the holy places. And these are priests he's chasing out because they didn't have God's heart. Mm. You know, they, they were more concerned about their status in society, marrying the right person, you know, marry that attorney because then you have a high place. Because remember, that's what Tobias' problem was. Yeah. You know, he was a Jew, raised a Jew, but he couldn't stand Nehemiah because Nehemiah was spirit-filled. Yeah, but those are my next books. Be the Storm. I like that. As you heard in my intro, my goal is to inspire people mm -hmm. to do things that can help uh, themselves, help the people around them, help their community, help the world. What would be your advice to someone so that they could step up to greatness? Number one, know that the words of your mother are life to you. Number two, believe everything God says. That's it. Well, Timothy, I appreciate you being on here uh, on yeah, the SU2G podcast. I uh, definitely wish you the best of luck on your book. Thank you. I definitely look forward to hearing about all the adventures you have coming out from this book and <laughs> seeing what else you produce in the future. So thank you very much for coming out. No, thank you so much. I appreciate you. Are there parts of Timothy's story that resonated with you from being involved with the wrong people early on, the divorce of his parents, 
his own divorce, his Lyme's disease, and even being told no by publishers that loved his book, Timothy Bittleman faced plenty of affliction. But he continued to have faith, and in that he has experienced God's love, and now gets to share that love in his book, Love and Affliction. So when you face affliction and setbacks in your life, remember to keep moving forward and step up to greatness.